Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business show from the newsroom at Business in Vancouver. I'm Haley Wooden, Executive Editor at BIV. I have two guests joining me today to talk about the Quarantine Conflict Resolution Service. This was launched by Mediate BC about a year ago to help individuals dealing with certain kinds of disputes by connecting them with mediators. I'm joined by Sharon Sutherland, Director of Strategic Innovation with Mediate BC, and Amanda Semenoff, a civil mediator and project manager of the Quarantine Conflict Resolution Service. Thank you both so much for coming on our show. Thank you. Yeah, Haley. So Sharon, this was originally intended, I understand, as a six-week pilot project, and here we are more than a year later still talking about it. Tell me about what you've learned over the past year about the need that exists and the kinds of conflicts and disputes that exist as a result of the pandemic. Yeah, sure. I mean, originally, we were just talking about the kinds of things that were emerging um, right in the moment in March 2020. And we kept hearing that people in Europe were experiencing way more uh, conflict with roommates because they were all on lockdown earlier than we were. Um, And so we were anticipating a certain type of dispute that we would get that had to do with being in close quarters. Uh, We did not predict the kinds of calls we'd start getting, the degree to which we get them. And of course, no one really predicted the course of the pandemic and the degree to which we'd be in this ongoing state of stress that would continue to increase conflict and bring it into the workplace, um, impact families, bring it into the nonprofit sector, bring it into across all of housing, not just those roommate conflicts, Um, neighbor disputes, really across everything. Um, This added stress and added added pressure in every relationship that we've had over the last year has been ongoing, has continued, and has made it really obvious that the kinds of disputes that people experience in their personal lives in particular and in their personal interrelationships in particular just don't have an outlet in court. And they really when they're at a high level of stress, people need somewhere to go. And so we've we've extended through to September at least. um, And we're looking at what can we do to build more programs following that so that we don't simply leave people in a place of need. I've heard it said before that people don't necessarily realize they have a legal problem. They just know that they have a problem. And this past year certainly placed a lot of strain on our relationships. Amanda, what would be a typical call? What are some of the things that people would call the service asking about and what kinds of solutions were they looking for? I mean, a lot of the calls we got were simply, I found a number on the internet and you answered, I'm desperate, help me. With no concept of what they needed, where they could get help, what the options were, um, or even necessarily like who they could talk to. So a lot of people who were alone, who are having some kind of conflict, whether it was at work, um, as co-parents, our first entire wave of calls was co-parents, which wasn't something that we expected. But the shutdown of schools in March left people with parenting plans whose parenting plans didn't work. And that echoed into, I mean, we've seen it in workplaces where like women have left work in huge numbers because childcare hasn't worked right now um, or different places where um, you're needing to talk to colleagues or you're needing to talk to bosses about how you need something different and just no concept of how to even start that conversation, what's acceptable, what to do. Um, then we had a bunch of kind of landlord calls, which is my tenants not answering me. They're not paying rent. I don't know what to do. 
And then we started to get roommate calls. And so what I've seen a little bit is that if you had a decent relationship at all, the first couple of weeks, at least you were pretty okay. Right? You know, you kind of pulled together and then the strains of it continuing eroded some of those relationships and things became unworkable. And the kinds of calls we're getting now are much more in these uh, where people have different risk profiles um, or like different kind of household risks, and yet they're working in the same space or they're living in the same space. So, you know, if people were asked to come back to the office, what does that mean and what does that look like? Um, if we're needing to work different hours, what does that mean and what does that look like? And so a lot of businesses um, have been calling just to say, what do I do? Like, help me have and start this conversation. And what I find is about 75% of the people that call figure out what to do without it even being referred to immediately. They just need somebody to listen to them, acknowledge it's an issue. It's <laughs> like, yes. And then just to help them a little bit be like, so what have you tried and what have you thought about? Because so many of us are stressed enough that our creative thinking is gone, right? Like we don't, we don't have the ability to think clearly about what our situation is. And so just somebody like running them through a few key questions kind of opens it up. And then the concept that they would talk to the other person. So I mean, mediation is voluntary. And one of the first questions I ask everyone is, have you asked the other person? It, do they know that you're interested in mediation? Um, and that's always like, oh, people are kind of nervous about having that conversation. And I can support them to make that ask. In certain situations, I make the ask. But often, they let the other person know that they're interested, and suddenly that opens the dialogue. And they may both then come to mediation, but so often just starting the conversation and letting the other person know that you care enough to have the conversation really matters. Absolutely. Uh, hearing what you're both saying, it makes me realize that the service almost functioned like a helpline or sort of like the nurse's hotline or a first point of contact for many people who had something going on in their lives and they just didn't know what to do. Sharon, what does that suggest to you about some of these issues and the information that may or may not be available to people when they're trying to handle an everyday problem? Yeah, it's, um, that has absolutely been the case. And in fact, we've extended and created an additional um, service that we weren't offering before, which is a monthly pro bono drop-in online, um, specifically because the more that we've run this program, the more it has been really, really obvious that people just need to figure out how to call and ask questions about conflict resolution about or and they don't even frame it that way necessarily as as you were saying it's a problem solving i'm experiencing a problem it is with another person or with other people um, they're not framing it as legal until it's extreme and escalates no one thinks i should phone a lawyer about this or if they do because somebody's encouraging them there's a resistance because it doesn't feel like that is the right result because we can only imagine legal responses as being something that ends up taking us to court and litigation and that's not the process we want to follow. There are really a lot of different free services that are available to people in need around mediation and they are very siloed. They take place in specific communities or you can only um, enter them for a specific number of hours to do this one type of, of matter. There isn't that one place where you can 
where somebody will pick up the phone and say, here are the various options. They're all around here. Here's how you find a way into them. And so that actually, Haley, is a really big part of why we're looking at how do we maintain Amanda's role past the end of the quarantine conflict resolution service, because having that person is absolutely crucial and making people aware that they can phone just to find out what do I do in these circumstances. Has this prompted any other kind of innovative thinking or plans from Mediate BC, Sharon, when you're realizing just the amount of need that's out there and the response you've received from this service alone? Yeah, I mean, there's quite a few different things that we're we're launching right now. Um, We're in the process of developing um, a very specific program um, for both nonprofits that are experiencing those kinds of workplace disputes, because that's actually been a really large number of the of the people who've been calling us about workplace saying they need something it's not that they can't pay it's that they can't pay you know hundreds of dollars an hour for the support that they need to keep their staff um, comfortable and work with staff stress or working with volunteers so we are launching a nonprofit low bono um, program right now we're doing that in conjunction with a very specific housing project. So we're working on taking in different types of housing disputes. Those might be tenant-tenant. Those might be tenant-staff in nonprofit housing. Um, they might be staff-staff for that matter. So we've been doing outreach and we're trying to develop a program where it is easy to get either free or low bono services um, in nonprofit housing. And that will extend beyond that. Um, clearly, there is there's need in um, in things that are not nonprofit as well. Um, so yeah, we're working through that. And I would say the uh, the third thing that really took off from the quarantine conflict resolution service is we are implementing a new practicum program for uh, mediators who are trying to develop their skills. Because one of the things we saw was that going online meant that a lot of more senior mediators were quite happy to take a new mediator who had better tech skills than they did to support them. So we started developing much more of a co-mediation model. And Amanda has been pairing people um, with as co-mediators throughout the quarantine conflict resolution service. And we've developed a real strength in community and working together and actually providing that, that growth and education for new mediators coming in, which will help us expand all of these programs. Amanda, on that note, I mean, being able to access a mediator or even a lawyer by Zoom has been, uh, I don't know if you'd call it a silver lining, but one of the positive outcomes in terms of access to justice and representation from this pandemic. Do you think that persists beyond the pandemic when we can freely and safely meet in person? Um, I think so. I mean, I have to be really honest. Part of the reason Sharon asked me to support with this program is half of my mediation practice was online before. Right. So I was doing 50% of my mediation through Zoom as it was. And one of the things that I'm definitely seeing is it's a different set of people that have come to Zoom. So it used to be like really tech people who were on Zoom already or like distributed offices. They were already using these tools. And now the majority of the general public has at least tried them and they've tried them. They've kind of seen them a little bit successful. I can walk most people through how to use Zoom now to do something like this. And that's, that's new for a lot of us. I mean, um, bringing somebody that didn't know how to use the tech to a co- level of comfort with the tech that they're willing to show up and do conflict resolution in this space um, has been a really interesting learning for us. So this is a, a new way of inviting people into processes. And it allows, especially in remote parts of the province, 
or where you need a subject matter expert because you have, you know, a very complicated dispute or um, there's lots of spaces now, even childcare, or where chunking a mediation down into smaller pieces is really important. And you're not traveling to an office to do five 45-minute mediations, but you can absolutely do 45 minutes a day, right, for a week. And so for for parents, for really busy business spaces in workplace, and I'm seeing mediations move from, I show up at an office and I do an entire day to we do a series of meetings over a month and we get really good results. And so I think that where results are really positive or people are seeing that time built in to reflect is it is going to shift how we do mediation in the future. Um, there is a, still a really strong value sometimes to being in person. Uh, and I think we're going to be much more intentional about when we choose to be in person, right? Mm. Um, and and I'm building hybrids where we do a lot of the early work online, and then we come together at the end for like finalization and maybe a celebration in person. Right? That might be something that we do. And we think about how do we intentionally build and go back and forth between online and in person. It strikes me that for some people, it might be more comfortable to actually be online and not have to be in the same room as the other person with whom they have some kind of a conflict. Yeah, I'm hearing that specifically in like workplace where there's been accusations of sexism, racism, bullying, and other kinds of um, really negative workplace behaviors where one person either feels really unsafe with the other one or is really triggered. Um, the behaviors that are the problem don't translate through the screen the same. And so we can have more conversation without that escalation occurring. And then for those cases, especially if they're working together, we usually move to an in-person leader. But those pieces where we can work in this space now and can we get to a place where you can be in person successfully in the future is really important in, in workplace, in business partnerships. It's really important in families. Uh, it's really important for roommates. Um, what was kind of surprising is the number of spaces because we can't come into a house with five roommates, but those are successful online. There's five people in one space and we're still able to do those effectively online. Um, and I think that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. Amanda, I'm going to add one thing to that because you're emphasizing the, a lot of people are uncomfortable coming into the space and that that's part of why they want to be online. And that's absolutely true. And it's always been an issue and it, and it's always been a problem that we make this assumption that for everybody, it's better to be in person. That's just not true at all. But the other thing that has always been kind of interesting to me is that if you're online and in video conference, most people don't turn off their video. So most people see themselves and it is something that, that we've heard before, but and continue to hear more and more through this. Seeing yourself angry changes the way you behave in anger. You cannot get into that same space when you see your face taking on that horrible look. It's, it, it's like, oh, yeah, people want to be the most reasonable in the room when they're in a mediation and they see when they're not. And it changes. And I have found that it actually softens the way that the mediation flows, that the breaks are great, but it also changes the nature of it when people are seeing themselves participate in a dispute. That's absolutely fascinating. So I guess the in-person solution just put a bunch of mirrors around. around exactly. Exactly. That, <laughs> that's the next plan. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, you mentioned nonprofits and some of the low bono services you're offering around that market. I want to ask you about small businesses specifically, Sharon, and then Amanda as well. What are some of the conflicts you've seen small businesses dealing with specifically over the past year? And what are some of the needs they have that maybe they can't have addressed by the more traditional legal system or court-based systems of conflict resolution? Yeah, I, I mean, there have been a lot and they're not ones that are they're not unique to the pandemic, except in as much as we sometimes see things. Um, there's been loss of income that has driven stresses that were already existing. Um, partners who are trying to work through what does it look like to redesign our business in this particular, under these conditions and these stresses. Um, we have different ideas about how to proceed in these kinds of things. They really have been hitting on um, fault lines in relationships before though. There has to have already been some communication challenge typically and it gets exacerbated by this particular by the situation um, so people who are coming tend to be those who are saying all right we actually we're stuck together we've got this partnership we've got this uh, small business we can't back out without it failing so how do we discuss the differences that we have in terms of bringing employees back in terms of uh, changing our business structure to meet the current needs uh, in terms of really anything that is facing them. So we're seeing quite a lot of those kinds of things with small businesses. Um, typically, and I'm talking about co-owner kinds of things, but it shows up um, between owners, uh, managers and staff as well. And we're seeing a really, really high percentage of those where people have just differences about what does work from home look like? Um, are you in fact working from home? If I see your kid running through the background every time I, I call, are you actually doing your work? Um, how do we have those conversations? So all of those kinds of things are, are in play right now. And uh, they're definitely, people are finding that mediation is helping them to have those conversations. Amanda, do you think perhaps out of necessity, more small business owners have discovered mediation by Googling perhaps what can I do and then phoning <laughs> your service for help? Uh, absolutely. I think also a lot of small businesses have found us because we did a lot of chamber talks at the begin in the beginning of the pandemic about how do you handle this? And, and all kinds of pieces from like, how do you support your frontline workers to enforce mask mandates in your store? Right? How do you how do you do all of these different pieces of things like like how do you handle, you know, you need to give a worker accommodation and somebody else wants that accommodation, but you can't give it to both of them. How do you decide who gets certain kinds of accommodations, who still has to come in, who can work from home? How do you set those pieces up and just really, um, really needing to talk through a lot of those pieces. And um, one of the things that has been really um, in some ways, encouraging is the community building aspects between organizations uh, throughout the pandemic. So uh, I've been referring a lot and a lot of organizations have been referring to us. So, you know, somebody went to file uh, with the court or they talked to their lawyer and their lawyer said, how about you call this program first? Right? Talk to these people and then see if you still want to file this court action or, you know, talk to these people before you go to the human rights tribunal or talk to this program and let's see if we can figure it out. Um, because they're looking at really the kind of slowdown in the backlog in, in the court's ability to process files. And so what the courts are handling is the really extreme stuff. And then everything else is having to wait. 
And it's having to wait way longer than is effective. And so maybe if your knee-jerk reaction in the past was to go to court, because that's something that maybe you're comfortable with, but now that timeline is really long, you're trying this first. And what I'm hearing from people is this sort of surprise that it worked, right? That in this situation that felt so hard and that coming into mediation actually worked really well and that they may take stuff to court in the future where it's appropriate, but they're kind of their bar for what goes to court now has been raised, right? It has to be much more extreme than it used to be. And I'm hearing that um, from landlords of apartment buildings. I'm hearing that from um, some of the uh, lawyers that do like human rights and workplace things is that the, the type of dispute that they're interested in bringing to mediation is a little bit broader than it used to be. And maybe the issues are a little bit deeper and they're going to try this maybe next time first before going to court. And I think that's been a real benefit uh, within our communities. Certainly sounds like it. A final question and feel free both of you to jump on this share and I'll direct it to you first. Do you think that more people utilize mediation moving forward perhaps as a result of their experiences over the past year? Uh, I, I would say that um, one of the commonalities in virtually every mediation program we've ever seen, um, and I mean, this is this is a worldwide thing, this is not just here, Mediate BC or anything, is that when people try mediation, they usually try it again. So what Amanda's talking about with um, there having been nowhere to go for certain types of challenges that have come up means we've been exposing more and more people to, to mediation and to other kinds of collaborative processes, different types of conflict coaching that mediators might conduct short of going to mediation. But the fact that more people have been exposed, I think inevitably means more people will choose it again, because that has just been the pattern everywhere. Um, mandatory mediation, it has been used in a lot of court programs, a lot of other kinds of contexts, and has has sent people to mediation. And what we've seen is that almost always people say, yes, I would choose that again, now that I know what it is. Interesting. Amanda, you mentioned before referrals from lawyers. You've also done a lot of outreach to, to spread the word about this service and the work of Mediate BC. Is a referral from, say, another business owner talking about their experience to a colleague or another entrepreneur a, a way that you think more people might become introduced to mediation? Absolutely, because I tend to see things in clumps. So you'll get like all the calls from one type of business. And so you know they've been talking in the background, right? Like how did, and we all do that. How did you handle this? How did you handle that? I mean, mediators talk amongst one another about how do you handle stuff. Restaurant owners right now are having really hard discussions about how are they going to handle the next months, two months, three months. You know, resorts are struggling. Everybody, and so we, we come together in our communities and it's been really, really impressive in many ways to see how communities have come together. And so if something's worked for one of them, it tends to spread. So we'll get calls from a whole community kind of in quick succession as they all deal with the same type of problem. And then it's the next community. So we'll get small business calls. I got four in one week from one small town in BC. You know, they all talked to one another, right? right. Absolutely. And, and so we, def we definitely see that. Perfect. Sharon, Amanda, thank you both so much for coming on our show to tell us a bit about what you've learned and experienced over the past year with this service. Thank you. Thank you.
That's Amanda Semenoff. She is a civil mediator and project manager of the Quarantine Conflict Resolution Service and Sharon Sutherland, Director of Strategic Innovation with Mediate BC, which launched the service just over a year ago. I'm Haley Wooden, Executive Editor at BIV. Thanks so much for joining our show. We'll be back with a new episode of our program tomorrow. Thank you.